I'm getting all the last bits of popcorn picked up. Our gospel reading today is from the book of Matthew, starting in chapter 17, as we read about the transfiguration. I encourage you to read along. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three dwellings here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them. And from the cloud, a voice said, This is my son, the beloved. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground and were overcome with fear. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Get up, and do not be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus ordered them, Tell no one about the vision until after the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. The word of the Lord. Please pray with me. Gracious God, give us ears to hear, minds to know, and hearts to understand your word for us this day. In your holy name, amen. So there is just something about a mountaintop. Moses gets the commandments there. Jesus is transfigured there. Dr. Martin Luther King had his greatest vision of peace and justice and hope of standing on a mountaintop. God speaks on the mountaintop. Or maybe we just listen a little better. When Jesus climbs the mountain with Peter, James, and John, we feel that this experience is marked as special. It's been six days since Jesus had given the disciples a reality check about what his time on earth was going to be about. Just a short time before the passage we read this morning, Jesus had told the disciples that he would suffer and die. Peter had pulled Jesus aside and said, no, you are too important to let this happen. And Jesus literally said to Peter, you are speaking the words of Satan. The disciples were all in with what Jesus' teaching was about, about modeling how to love and care for those who were persecuted. They were ready to usher in this new, more just society, and Jesus was to be their ruler. And now he's telling them that to follow him 
and that they too will suffer and maybe die? That the political upheaval of a new Jewish king isn't what God had in mind. So to put it mildly, there is concern. And it is just a week later that this small inner circle goes to the top of the mountain. And Jesus changes before their eyes. He dazzles. They see Moses and Elijah and Jesus shining like the sun. And this triggers something for them because in Isaiah 60, 19, they know it says, the sun shall no longer be your light by day, but the Lord will be your everlasting light. And Peter's first response is to recognize this and call Jesus Lord. But Peter is still Peter. And I love him so much because I relate to him really well. You may be too. Peter's faithful. He's devoted to the mission. He hears the word and it resonates within his soul. But his darn humanity is always tripping him up. It's repeatedly getting in the way of him understanding what Jesus is saying to him. And this moment, amazing as it is, Peter sees Jesus there with Moses and Elijah and immediately goes into project planner mode. And you can totally hear him saying, Lord, it's perfect that we're here. I get it now. I'm going to build you a palace right here. And the people will come and the world will know. We'll get those cool mosaics with the gemstones. And he's so caught up in his excitement of what he thinks this means. That God's voice has to interrupt him. You know you're babbling when God is all, all right, it's time for you to shush now. But we can't look on Peter too harshly. Because this is what mountaintop experiences do to you. On March 8th, 2015, I attended a worship service that took me to a mountaintop. It was the one-year anniversary of the founding of Liberation United Church of Christ. And they were celebrating this great moment in the life of their congregation. The pastor, Darrell Gooden Moultrie, is also the dean of students at Seattle University, where I was a student. So this event brought my classmates and some faculty, as well as people from other UCC churches, including their sister congregation from Magnolia, all into this worship space. A liberation is predominantly people of color, and it was intentionally created to be a safe space for those who have been marginalized due to race, gender, and sexual orientation. And they had begun to have a connection with this predominantly white congregation in Magnolia as a way of bridging their two peoples together. And so here they were. Pastor Durrell had also invited Bishop Yvette Flunder to give the sermon. Now, there are truly incredible preachers, and she is 
at my top of them. So if you have a chance to look her up on YouTube, do it, because she's phenomenal. And because Liberation meets at Madrona Grace Presbyterian Church, there were Presbyterian pastors there as well. Reverend Kelly Brown and Reverend Bertram Johnson were all there. This was an event. Worship lasted over two hours. And I listened to them celebrate their community, their ministry, praising God for their blessings. Inspired isn't enough of a word. I felt lifted up. This community, their passion, their devotion to doing the will of God in the world. Like Peter, I knew it was good for me to be there. And I wanted to carry that energy, that faithfulness, that message everywhere. I longed for a PCUSA congregation just like it somewhere. I wanted to hear Bishop Flunder speak about justice and hope and the glorious revelation of God every week. When you're on the mountaintop, the possibilities are endless of all that is laid out before you. And the promised land is real. It's tangible. It's exciting. So we have to give Peter grace in this moment. Because he's standing in the presence of God. And he knows in that moment all that could be. And he's ready. And God speaks. This, this one right here is my son, the beloved. With him, I am well pleased. And that was actually the second time they'd heard that because God spoke those same words when Jesus was baptized. And now Jesus is glowing. And God adds, listen to him. And they fell down afraid because they heard the rebuke. God, not Jesus, was giving them a command. And that command was directed exactly at what they had not been doing. They weren't really listening. Surely Jesus was going to become the new ruler and kick out the Romans, restoring the Jewish people to independence and sovereignty. That's what the prophecies were about, right? No. In this moment on the mountaintop, their greatest hopes are opened in this clear divinity of Christ. And they're scolded by God for pushing their agenda and not God. They hear the words and they fall down afraid, maybe embarrassed, maybe ashamed. They've been traumatically confronted with the reality that everything, even the things that they didn't want to accept or believe, everything Jesus is telling them is true. And it's inspiring and heartbreaking the exact same time. Roland Wells says of this transfiguration moment that this 
lifting the veil and giving the true understanding is just a tiny taste of what would be coming. That the glory of the resurrection will shine through Christ's humiliation and suffering the same way that God's light is shining on them even as they are afraid and humiliated. Which is why the transfiguration event is significant not just for what it reveals in Jesus, but what it reveals in us as well. Wells writes, the true external value of the God who in Christ hides God's self and identifies with us in all our fragility and insignificance even to death is the God who transforms our own nature with God's own glory and majesty. By way of solidarity, God leads us into glory. God transfers us from a kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's Son. The promise of all that will be exists in the transfiguration. And Jesus reaches out and touches his friends, telling them to get up and to not be afraid. They open their eyes and everything is once again back to normal. Except nothing is really back to normal. They now must head back down the mountain, returning to the work of loving and caring for those in need once more which is the hard truth of the mountaintop. It reveals all that is, but is not yet. After revealing the truth of the mountaintop to Dr. King, he knew. He said, I may not get there with you. Jesus wasn't going to get there either. Nor would Peter, James, or John, nor may any of us. But the promise is real, and the work is good. I keep a quote from the Talmud on my wall at work that reads, Do not be daunted by the enormity of the world's grief. Do justice now. Love mercy now. Walk humbly now. You are not obligated to complete the work. But neither are you free to abandon it. The light of God is shining upon us, calling us to the will of God. And it is good for us to be here. Please pray with me. Gracious and loving God, you challenge us to hear your word, to know your love, and to carry that out with us every day, in every interaction, to see those who need your love, who need your support, who need encouragement, who need justice. 
We are called to this work by you because that is how we will be able to transform the world. As we wait, sometimes maybe not so patiently, but we wait for your kingdom, for you to come again. In your home.